0: You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website, this is baptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's remain standing, and I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke 23. And wow, thank you so much, Davion, Jeffrey, all the praise team. A great. Great opportunity to just be with the Lord today. As Jeffrey said, Davion has surrendered to ministry. You know, I always think that's an interesting way to put it. (laughs) Surrendered. Because uh, sometimes when you get into ministry, you almost feel like you've surrendered. Like you're... uh, Well, it's just different. But I'm so proud of him. Davion is one of our own... And as Jeffrey said, he's written a lot of songs, a lot of different um, words that in many ways he'll sometimes send them to Sheila and I. And, and we are just amazed at the talent, the giftedness that he has. God very much has his hand on him. And I believe in the years ahead that God's going to use him greatly. So you pray for Davion. Figure out how we can come alongside of him, begin to uh, help him discover... The future, God's will. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 23, beginning at verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals. One on his right, one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching. The rulers even sneered at him. They said, he, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, 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 remember me when you come into your kingdom jesus answered him i tell you the truth today you will be with me in paradise let's pray lord we love you we give you all the glory lord we are beat up bruised up we are as ruth bell graham said a work in progress We battle with our own demons, our own strongholds. We fell so many times. And yet as this worship service has made so clear to all of us, the love of Jesus Christ is unconditional, undeserved, unearned. It is by the grace and the mercy of an everlasting Father who sent his Son, Jesus lord may that grip us now speak to us let me be a tool in your hand and we pray this in the name of jesus amen amen you can be seated for every parent whose child is in another room right now. I want you to re- remember this and tell your children later on. In other words, just say, "You know, brother Jeff used an illustration and he wanted me, mom or dad, to tell you what he what he told us." Years ago, I was going to a church in Natchez. It was going to be a different and a difficult ministry. It would not be easy for people who know me know that it was a very very tough pl- place to serve they had brought us down to speak the committee to speak to me and for me to preach in what they call uh, in view of a call they had put us up in the ramada inn the ramada inn sat right there looking kind of up on a hill looking out over the mississippi river and over the bridge that afternoon sheila and i and our four kids we got out and we were walking around and we we walk back up on this bluff that looks out over the city of Natchez and over the Mississippi River, and it was covered in kudzu. Now anybody that knows kudzu knows that kudzu is just this massive vine that was brought over, I believe, from China. It grows several inches in a single day. It's it will take over everything. It will kill everything that it it'll it'll choke down a tree. And so we came to the edge of this bluff and this kudzu had grown up this bluff. But behind this kudzu, you could see this bluff, this ground just slipping as far as the eye could see down into this kudzu. So me being the protective parent that I am, I was trying to hold back the kids, Sheila and I, and I'll never forget, Amy looked at me and she looked at me, that redhead, those big blue eyes. And I said, I said, Amy, be careful. And she looked at me she was holding my hand and she said she said dad if i fell down in there what would you do I smiled looked at her i didn't even think about it i said amy i'd go down after you i would just go after you never forget her face just lit up and in that moment comprehending just how much her dad loved her and let me tell you, you and I have a God that loves us, who sent his son to go after us. That's Easter. That's Easter. Now, you know, we're going to look at these two thieves. Both of these thieves are here. They're crucified. The Bible, the old, uh, in, the, in, in the King James Version, it calls them malfactors, but they're thieves, And in this, it's a prophecy. Isaiah 53, verse 2 says this. It says he was numbered, Jesus was numbered with our transgressors. In other words, Jesus demonstrates how far he will go in order to save us, and the Bible says that he does you know if you think about it, Jesus was born in a manger, he was born in a what they called a catalumen uh, he was not in a in a little stable that we 'll sometimes put up here at Christmas. He was actually born in a, con- in, a in a trough in a trough. In the middle of a corral, there was kind of a communal po- corral where people would put their animals. They would, stay in, they would stay in the inn. They would stay in the stable. There was no room in the inn, no room in the stable. Jesus is actually born out there among the animals. He was numbered with the transgressors. And in death, he's with the worst of society. I don't know about you you ever think about when you're gonna die and how you want to die and who you want to die with you know we all have this idea of this scene of all of us coming to the end of our life and our family gathered around us and us talking to them and speaking with them and telling them how much we love them and then quietly slipping away I think it was Woody Allen that said I don't mind my death I just don't want to be there when it happens You know, there's a lot of truth to that. It's one thing for you and I to die with the people that we love. It is another thing for you and I to die with people that we have difficulty even being around. Jesus is dying in an excruciatingly horrible place to die. And yet Isaiah 53 again said he was numbered with the transgressors. You know, these thieves are our representatives. You think about it. You know, Matthew 27, verse 44, says this. Listen to this. It says, The thieves also who were crucified with him cast the same at him. In other words, Initially, Matthew tells us that both thieves hanging there were mocking and ridiculing Jesus. So think about that. You know, I was walking, I got up early this morning, five something this morning, took my dog, began to walk. I was walking down the road and I was listening to John MacArthur and he was talking about the death of Christ. And he made this statement, he said that Jesus was, uh, Jesus was on trial from 1 a.m. in the morning to 5 a.m. in the morning. And as I began to think of that, walking my dog, I just started to tear up. I began to think about the amount of suffering, the pain that he went through even before he ever got to the cross. Roman lictor, he would take the cat of nine tails And it had beaten him almost beyond description, almost beyond belief. It was said in The Passion of Christ that when Mel Gibson first put the movie out, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget going to a theater, watching that movie. The laughing, the talking, people talking about what they were going to be doing after the movie and then all of a sudden you could feel as the opening scene there in Gethsemane and then you walk toward the cross and finally it ends with the resurrection. By the end of the movie you could just hear a pen drop. People had dropped dead of a heart attack. The picture of the crucifixion of Christ was so difficult to watch. Mel Gibson said that the hand that holds the nail was Mel Gibson's hand, the producer of the movie. To remind him and to remind all of us, we all put him there. But these these thieves are, they're, they're the worst of society. They've robbed, they've murdered, they're immoral, they're sold out to the world. They've lived their life for the world. I remember years ago it was down in Florida there was a book written by a man named Bob Earler I believe his name was Bob Earler Bob Earler was known as the catch me killer Bob Earler was a serial killer but he would call the police department there I believe I believe it was in Miami and he would call them and when they answered the phone he would say catch me please catch me and then he would hang up and then again the call would come every day or two a murder would take place a crime would take place and finally the police caught Bob Erler sentenced him and put him in prison and he was known as the catch me killer these two thieves are representatives of you and I. They're the worst of society. They're the people that we're not comfortable being around. We like homogenous people who look like us, dress like us, act like us. And young people, you're no different. You're just trying to fit into a different group. We love to be around people who look and act like us. But the thought of dying around people... Who are filled with hatred toward the one who's dying? It's beyond comprehension. In this COVID epidemic, I heard about a man who refused to go to the hospital. And someone said, Why? Ask his wife why. He died. He died at home. And his wife said because he had been married to me so long that he refused to die in a hospital separated from his wife and his family and he chose chose to neglect or reject all medical means and he gave his life ultimately because he desired so much the fellowship of his family. Jesus did not have that. I've often told Sheila when I die... I said, I don't want to die in an ICU. Don't you put me in hospital. I said, when I die, put me outside. I want to control how I die and who I'm with when I die. Jesus never had that. You know, it's a little thing sometimes we forget. And the Bible said there were two responses here. One's receptive, one accepts Jesus, and the other rejects him. Think about it. I I wrote this down. Three men are crucified, two are equally near. Both of these thieves have witnessed what has transpired over the six hours. Both are notoriously wicked. Both are acutely ungodly, immoral. Both are dying. Both are in urgent need, and yet one accepts Jesus and the other rejects him. Wow. You know one of the difficulties of ministry, Davion? Is that in a gathering like this, some people have said no, say no, say no, say no, say no, say no, say no. no." They say no to Christ their whole life. And they may say yes by professing it, but in their heart and by their actions and by the life they live, they in every way are saying no, 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 no. They reject Christ. And you have two men here. They're both equally near they've both seen what has happened and yet one's heart is melting the other is unmoved under the same sermon the most difficult lesson of life is to understand that some people say no and i thought to myself you know why does this man who is hanging almost within arm distance of jesus christ this thief The Bible says that he's cursing and he's railing and he's ridiculing and he's mocking the only hope that he had in that moment. He's dying. Let me tell you what the Romans will do because it's the Passover. At a certain point, a Roman soldier will take a club. He will come to the man and what these people would do is they would lift themselves up in order to breathe because they're suffocating so they lift themselves up. In fact, they begin to they begin to uh, man- manipulate the design of the cross to keep them from doing that. Because what they do, they could linger for days, but it was the Passover. And if Rome wanted to kill him quickly, what Rome would do is a Roman soldier would take a club and he would take this big mallet and he would walk over. "Have you ever hit yourself in the shin?" I could never be a soccer player. And they would, hit, they would hit right here. Snap that leg in two. Thereby they were unable to lift themselves up and to breathe. And they would suffocate and they would die. He is moments from death. And yet he ridicules. And I, I thought why? I, you know I wrote these down years ago. But they, they're so relevant. Because it's so like us. We will spend our life rejecting Christ we'll spend our life never selling out never living under the lordship of Christ we will stumble and fall and trip throughout life and never sell out to him and then wonder why our life is such a horrible mess what did he do wrong I I wrote down here first of all I think the unrepentant thief I think he played the game with God I, I really do. I, th- I think he played the game with God. I, th- I think this thief thought to himself, um, "You know, he, he, think about this. He had, he had heard Jesus. I believe he had heard him. If nothing else, Jesus would draw thousands of people, so it was a good place to rob. These were thieves. So no doubt when you had crowds of thousands that it would be easy to slip in there and steal a few and pilfer a little bit and do what you were going to do. So perhaps he had heard, these thieves had heard many times the parables of Jesus. They'd seen the miracles of Jesus. They'd heard his teaching, but he never responded. Not even in death. Not even this close to death. You know, I worked in an ambulance service for nearly four years. And one of the remarkable things about an ambulance service is Friday and Saturday nights. Sheila and I, we uh, came and cleaned Friday and Saturday, trying to get the buildings ready, trying to get our place back where it needs to be. And there was an individual in this community near here. And he was out. He was out. I don't know if he's on the phone. I don't know if he was on a trip. But he was just cursing, just filthy mouth, just cursing. Here it was, a rainy, horrible day. You know, we've had homeless. I'll never forget. I was telling our men this. Never forget, one time our, our vans went out. They came to a man that was homeless, and this old guy was just sitting there. It was a wet, miserable, cold day, and back at the church, we had an unbelievable spread—food, all kinds of food: turkey, hams, casseroles, sweet potato pies, pecan pie. We had everything, making you hungry. We had everything. And the van pulled up. Mark Bowman, this big old guy, he pulled up. I think Ledge was with him. They pulled up and this this homeless man was sitting there kind of wrapped up in his clothes. And next to him was a big old tall brand new bottle of beer. And Mark Bowman said, sir... Would you like to come to Southside? Would you like to come? We've got jackets and blankets. We've got food. We've got coffee. We've got pastries. We've got a spread you can't even begin to imagine. We've got toiletry items. We've got gift cards to McDonald's. We've got all this stuff for you. And then Mark looked at him and said, but you'll have to leave that. You have to leave that bottle of beer. Life changing for Mark Bowman, I know, I think for Ledge too. He said that homeless man looked at that bottle, picked it up, held it by the long neck. Looked at that bottle, looked at that van, looked back at that bottle, and did this, did this to the van. Just go on. You know, the Bible said this Ephraim is joined to his idol, leave him alone. And I've often wondered about this thief. Why would he not repent because he thought to himself he could just play a game with God. He could live his life. Let me tell you, do you know how many people live their life playing a game with God right up to their last breath? And then it's too late. I told you about a friend of mine and High school, when I was working with an ambulance service, she, of course, we were grown by then. I ever forget her calling me, coming to the home. We got to the home, got out. They're frantic, screaming. She said, get in here, Jeff, get in here quick. Went in there, and her dad was putting a, putting a shotgun up on a, on a rack. The gun dropped, shot him right here, and he had a hole in him about like that. We had him in the ambulance. He's dying. He knows it. I'm in the back with him taking vital signs, doing all that I can do, trying to figure out how to stop the bleeding. He'd blown half his spleen away. When the old man looked at me and he said these words, he said, tell my son. He said, I'm not going to make it. Would you do me a favor? I said, yes, sir. He said, tell my son I love him. I've never told him that. I did did CPR for an hour and 45 minutes. He never had an opportunity to tell his son. When we finally, when we finally, when the doctor called it in the ER, I walked out into that hallway. I looked at this good looking young man and I said to him, Your dad wanted you to know something. Your dad wanted you to know that he had never told you that he loved you. But he said with his last dying breath, he wanted you to know that he loved you. And that son wept and walked away and literally put his head against the wall. You know why? Because we all think that we control our death. And we all have a picture of our death. And we think we've got plenty of time. Just put God off. God's a little bell boy. And we just kind of flip our finger and wave him over when we got a problem and then we send him on his way. Secondly, I think this was Satan at his best. You know, when you think about this, you think about this guy here, you think to yourself, you think, why wouldn't he repent? Why wouldn't he give his life to Christ? This was the only hope that he had. He would play a game with God. God will wait. You know, the Bible says that you you and I don't come. You know what the Bible says? We don't come to the Father when we want to the Bible says that we can't come unless His Spirit draws us. In other words, God's not on your schedule. You and I are on God's. And that's what this thief thought. He thought to himself, you know, I got plenty of time. He has played the game with God. And the other thing he did, he forgot that he was working for the enemy. You see, you and I have an enemy. He's a spiritual enemy. He's called Satan, Diabolos, the devil, Lucifer, He's an unbelievable enemy. Listen to you, he studies you. Whether you're saved or not, he studies you. He knows your weaknesses, knows your strengths. He's he's literally, he is an unbelievable foe that spends an enormous amount of time trying to figure out how to trip you and I up. And he's good at it. And you can't fight him without the indwelling Holy Spirit. Can't do it. But this man thought, well, I'll just, uh, uh, you know, got plenty of time. And he didn't realize his enemy. Let me tell you your enemy. Always remember, I was speaking at a school in, over in England. You know, I didn't realize it. I always said it was a high school, but I've come to find out I'd put in my notes, I, going, I was going back looking at some journaling, and it was actually a girls' school in England. I was speaking to a girls' school in England. And it was packed full. I can still see the picture. And at a certain point, I had an orange in my hand. I was tossing that orange up. Tossing that orange up. And these girls, you have to understand something, they were a lot of tough girls. I mean, some of them shirt tails out, some of them, they just, they're they, they some rough girls. I'm throwing that orange up, trying to preach the gospel, throwing that orange up. At a certain point, I took a pocket knife out. And I cut a hole in top of that orange. And then I walked over and I'll never forget. No, I didn't walk over anywhere. I just squeezed that orange out. All the juice out of that orange. Every bit of it. Squeezed every bit of it. And then finally I had this old, just, just a piece of mushy orange. And I looked at them and I said, girls, I said, let me tell you something. I said, this is what your enemy will do to you. Your enemy will drain every bit of the life out of you. And I'll never forget this as long well as I live. It's one of those God moments. There was a, one of those metal garbage cans way over across. I was in a gym or some kind of auditorium up on a platform. And way over there, I, I mean, it was farther probably than that wall. There was a metal garbage can. I'll never forget, I took this orange and I said, and when the enemy gets through, I was just going to throw it away. I mean, just act like I was throwing it. But I saw that garbage can, so I thought, well, what the heck, I'll go in. I threw it over the hit that garbage can, rolled around in that garbage can, echoed through that old place, and I couldn't believe it. I knew God was there, because I ain't no basketball player. And I said, girls, that's exactly what your enemy Satan will do. You see, that's what this man didn't realize. He didn't realize he had an enemy. And the world is full of testimonies. I've told you about Elvis Presley. On his way with Nancy Sinatra going to an event there in Las Vegas when she looked at him and Elvis was quiet. And all of a sudden she looked and said Elvis had his his head down. And she began to realize that he was crying. And she said, Elvis, why are you crying? Why are you upset? You're getting ready to do a show. It's packed out. You're one of the most greatest celebrities of all. Your name is known all over the world. You're the king. You're the king of rock and roll. She began to talk about all that, trying to cheer him up. Elvis Presley, listen, young people. Elvis Presley at a certain point looked up and looked at her and said, when I was a young man, God called me to do church music, church ministry, and I said no. And he died in his bathroom, overdosed on drugs, as did Whitney Houston, the greatest female vocalist of all time, as did Whitney's daughter. Mom, get your act together. Dad, get your act together. Because if somebody had looked at Whitney Houston at the prime of her, her career and said to her, and CeCe Winans begged Whitney Houston to not go with RCA or whatever the record company, recording company, CeCe, the Winans begged her, stay with with us same christian music she said no and she died of a drug overdose in her bathtub and her daughter died exactly the same way she died the reality is is this thief thought to himself he thought you know i can play a game with god i got plenty of time he didn't realize his enemy Rona Barrett said this about Hollywood at the end of, toward the end of her life. This great woman who had interviewed so many Hollywood movie stars. You know what she said? She said, they're the saddest lives. Not one happy person had she ever met in Hollywood in all her years of interviewing stars. Wow. But isn't that what your enemy will do? Didn't Jesus tell you and I that? You know what he said? He said, what does it profit a man gain the whole world and lose his soul? What can a man give in exchange for a soul? He knew. You see, this thief thought to himself, he thought, I had plenty of time. I, I, I'm not in a hurry. God will wait on me. And he didn't realize that he had an enemy. And let me tell you something. I'm not talking to religious people. Nicodemus was religious. Nicodemus was religious when he came one evening and sat with Jesus. You know what Jesus He said, you know what Nicodemus said? They sat down. You can just see this scene. The Chosen does a tremendous job. Nicodemus is sitting there in the cool of the evening and they're going to have a theological discussion. And Nicodemus starts off by complimenting Jesus. He says, teacher, we know you. He said, master, rabbi, we know you're a teacher who's come from Israel for no man can do the things that you do. You know what Jesus said? In the language of the Shona people in Zimbabwe, In the language of the people that I work with in Zimbabwe, Jesus said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That won't get you into heaven. And you can unload everything you've got in those plates back there. And you could die, you could serve him as long as you can, but if you've never repented and given your heart and life to Christ, all the religion in the world won't make a dime's worth of difference. Thirdly, he thought, well, there'll be mercy. You know, I think he thought to himself, you know, think about it. You think about this guy. He, he's dying. He's hanging there. He's dying. He's ridiculing, cursing, and mocking Jesus. You know why I think most of all young people listen? I think he did it because the crowd was doing it. Easy to follow the crowd, isn't it? Mom and Dad, before you become judgmental, let me remind you, for a lot of you parents, you follow the crowd just like everybody else. You love the approval and the affirmation of the crowd. You love a -a that-a-boy. You'll sell your soul for a -a that-a-boy at the workplace. You love for people to like you. You love to, be, you love to be approved, to get affirmation. But is it worth these words? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You see, he, he thought he would get mercy. I think he thought to himself, you know, if I go along with this crowd... They may, and think about it. It's probably about like this. Here's the crowd. They're mocking, ridiculing, spitting, laughing, doing everything. They are literally having a field day. Remember, Jesus is hanging there. Hey, this may be uncomfortable for you, and I'm sorry. But he was hanging there nude, naked. He wasn't sitting way up on a cross. He was sitting almost at eye distance. So when people walk by, they could ridicule, mock him, laugh at him, spit at him. A horrible scene. But this thief, he thought, you know, if I go along with the crowd, they may show me mercy and take me down. Let me tell you something about the crowd after running with the crowd. They will never show you no mercy. They'll sell you one more hit of dope The liquor store will sell you one more bottle of whiskey, beer, Mad Dog 2020. Listen, the liquor company will sell you. The gambling industry may put that little garbage they put under their ads, but the reality is they love for you to come to the boat and give your last penny. I'll never forget what Willie said to one of our members one day. He looked at him and said to this man, "He said the problem with your son is he gets paid and there's a big butted woman waiting on him as soon as he gets his check. You see, the you and I run with the world. We we think that somehow the world loves us. World to show us mercy. I remember one time in Zimbabwe where a man took a woman's purse out of a vehicle." or somewhere out of her home or whatever. They chased him down and killed him on the spot. And I thought, boy, that's a picture of the world. That's the way the world is. Well, this thief, you know, he played the game with God. He thought, you know, God God will wait on me. there's anything to this. He thought, well, you know, I'll go along with the crowd. But then you think about this other thief. Man. In Matthew 27, verse 44, it said, the thief that repented, he started off ridiculing, mocking, laughing, making fun of Jesus. But then something happened to him. He changed. You know, I've often wondered what happened to him. Did he hear Jesus say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Did he he see Jesus when Jesus looked at John the Beloved, one of the disciples, and said this? He said, listen, he said, John, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. In other words, you know what he did? He entrusted the care of his mother into the hands of his apostle John, who was the only one out of all the disciples not to die a martyr's death. And you may say, well, wait a minute. I thought Mary had, I thought he had four brothers and three si- I thought he had a whole bunch of siblings that could have taken care of Mary. Everybody looked this way. They were murdering them one by one. His siblings were martyred. thief repents what was it was it just the love when all failed you, you think about it when everything failed when everything was going wrong and he's ridiculing and he's mocking and then all of a sudden he's awakened He starts hearing Jesus praying for his enemy. He starts seeing this unbelievable ability to love humanity. It's almost more than he can even begin to comprehend. And finally, he's just overwhelmed because what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 is the key. Love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. And he sees this unbelievable love expressed toward people that are killing him. And in that moment, he's convicted. Everybody listen. He doesn't go through a litany. He doesn't go through a list of everything he's done. He doesn't tell all the robberies, all the stealing, everything that he's done. He doesn't do any of that. You know what he said? He said, Lord... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now the Bible says that he was well aware. Because you remember at one point Luke tells us that the other thief was making fun. And he began, listen to this, he's hanging on the cross. He's dying. He knows what's coming. If he doesn't die, they're getting ready to break both of his legs. And he's going to die an excruciating death. He goes from mocking and cursing Jesus... To finally being turned repentant, broken. And you know what he says to the other thief? And the other thief's still mocking? He said, Listen, what are you doing over there? We deserve this. You remember? You remember all the people that we've robbed, all the whiskey that we've drank, all the evil that we've done? You remember that man we murdered and we took all his possessions and we hid him out there in that shallow grave? You remember all of the things that we've done? What are you doing mocking him? He's done nothing wrong. Two things. He recognized his own sinfulness and he recognized the sinlessness of the Savior. And he says, Lord... Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, Today. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. No soul sleep. Don't even have to wait for the resurrection. Today. In a little while you'll be with me in paradise. It's all right. I've heard your heart, heard your cry. You're going to be in heaven. Can you imagine now waiting to die? (laughs) He might have been singing one of those old songs, Swing low, sweet chariot, coming for to carry me home. Waiting. Lamb's book now has a new name. This thief, he's waiting now. Every once in a while, I believe Jesus looked at him and smiled, said, not much longer. It's all right. We'll be there soon. When that Roman soldier finally came and he grabbed up that mallet, that man knew what was coming. And in that moment, he just lifted himself one last time, took a breath in his lungs. And when they broke both of those legs, he collapsed. And he died, and immediately, absent from the body, he was present with the Lord. Wow. Snatched. People, you know, people have say this, Well, preacher, do you believe in deathbed conversions? I sure do. I love them. Ain't nothing makes Satan matter than to see somebody come to Christ in the last moments of their life. Debbie, I can't, when I think of a deathbed, I always think of your mama fouling all of y'all in, pleading with you, begging with you to give your life to Christ, sell out to Christ, live for Christ. And all the while now she hangs over the banisters of heaven with an army of people that have gone on basically watching how we're running the race. You've got a a sob story? Something bad's happened to you? Mill around in this room and find out how many other people have gone through pain and sorrow and hurt. Get your eyes off yourself and realize there is a broken, hurting world of damaged people. And the reason God comforts you is so, as Paul said, you in turn can comfort others. This man was in heaven you know Amy asked me one day she said dad this was in our second church never forget it she, uh, she was actually this is an Amy I guess this is an Emily doesn't mean to leave you out or Ledge and Jeffrey but this is just an Amy Amy's the oldest you know they can always tell you you got a bunch of pictures of the oldest by the time you get the middle child there's three pictures <laughs> oh, but anyway because I love all of my kids and you know that but i never forget Amy one day she could, get, she could get out of me what nobody could get out of me. And she said to me one day, she said, Dad, she said, I'm praying. I said, you're praying for what? And she had that kind of face, looked about like Amelia. She said, Dad, I'm praying. I said, well, you're praying for what? She said, I'm praying for a kitten. I said, a kitten? She said, oh, Dad, a kitten. Well, I thought to myself, and I'll I'll end with this because we're out of time. I thought, boy, that's one prayer God, please don't answer because I don't like a cat. Sheila's allergic to them. They shed everywhere, and I don't like a cat. I've never liked a cat. Now, forgive me, people, if you've got a cat. One night, a country church, big old country church. Sunday night, people still milling around. Man, it was still active. And all of a sudden, here comes Amy. She is running, that old red hair, blowing buddy, and blue eyes look about this big. She's running, and she's just like this. She's running as fast as she can. And she comes over there to me. She said, Daddy, Daddy, God answered my prayer. I said, what prayer? I mean, I would forgot. She said, Daddy, look what God gave me. This this kitten was filthy, was absolutely filthy. Its fur was gnatted up. It was filthy dirty. It was the ugliest kitten I've ever seen in my life. And I tried to convince her. I said, I said, Amy, that's somebody's kitten. We need to find out who the owner is and give that back to him. She said, Daddy, I've asked everybody around church. Nobody knows where this kitten came from. Daddy, can I keep this kitten, please? And big old blue eyes looking up at me. Finally, I said, well, we're going to try to, we're going God willing, we're going to find the owner of this kitten. <laughs> I knew it was helpless and hopeless. Church members, they all had big smiles on their faces. You know, they knew what was coming. So I said, okay, we'll keep, you can keep the kitten. Whew. She went back there in the bathroom. Man, after a while, I heard her back there. She was running water in the tub or the sink. She, was, she, she came in there, and she got the dishwashing detergent. And, and I walked by there one time, and that, that kitten was just covered in suds. I felt so sorry for this little kitten. And, and, and then a little while later, I heard the blow dryer in there. Well, next thing, it looked like the kitten had been electrocuted. You know, its hairs was sticking straight up like this. And then a little while later, she came in there and she got some of her mom's perfume and she sprayed it on the kitten. And then she found a little red ribbon and she tied it around the kitten with a little bow on it. And then she came in there. She said, Dad, look what God gave me. I didn't recognize, recognize the kitten. I came to love that cat. And she was right. That cat was not only a gift from God. That cat reminded me, son, that's what you look like to me. But the love of my son takes away all the filth and the grime and the sin. And what Jesus Christ does is he cleans us up And he says, Father, do you know him? Which thief are you today? Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to you. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. Lord, we realize that there at the cross, dear Lord, there was so much going on. And Lord, as we think back to that thief that never repented, never gave his life to Christ, Lord, for many of us, we've been down that road. We understand what he's done. We've played a game with God. We thought we would get mercy from the world. We had no idea what our enemy was doing while all the while... He is draining every bit of the life out of us. For some in this room, it is time to sell out to Christ. To say, Lord, this is me. I'm I'm dirty. There's a lot of things that I'm ashamed of. Well, Lord, I'm not playing a game with you now. I give my life to you. And I pray, dear Lord, if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl in this room, somebody who may be listening, what greater day, what better day to be saved than Easter. And I pray, dear Lord, that if there's a man or a woman, boy or a girl, who today they would say, I'm not a Christian, but today I have felt something in my heart working in me, And I want to be saved. Pastor, what do I do? How do I settle this? How can I know that I'm a Christian? How can I know when I die that I'll go to heaven? How can I have what that thief had when Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise? How can I know that? The Bible said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's all that thief did. The Bible said that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, the Bible said we shall be saved. And Easter is that celebration. So Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know, if there's one listening, pray dear Lord that they would say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. Be the Lord of my life. Begin this work in me from this day until one day I get to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. For others in this room, they may say, Pastor, I know that I'm saved. But I've been at a low place. I've been struggling. I've gotten beat up by the world, gotten beat up by friends, family, whatever it may be. There may be some in this room I've just gone through a loss that just literally I thought would destroy me. Lord, may you comfort them and remind them that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. May you remind them that uh, if they've lost a loved one, that God that loved one is with you now and is safe because of their profession of Jesus Christ. But maybe the world has beaten some up in this room, some who may be listening. I pray, dear Lord, right now that you wrap your arms around them and comfort them and help them to understand that, God, you've never walked away from them. Your love is unconditional. It's unearned. It's grace. It's mercy. And that all you ask is that they come back. That they begin to repent. That they, like the prodigal son, will just simply come home. For others, it may be to plant their life to be a part of this church. May they do that today. Lord, may everything be to your honor and glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. You come.